Hello and welcome to the Dead Darlings podcast. I'm Rebecca Cooney. I'm Laurie Eaves. And I'm Hannah Hutzpah. Dead Darlings is a monthly podcast for the spoken word community in London and beyond. Each month we'll be bringing you interviews, tips, inspiration and above all, awesome poetry from London's spoken word scene. We'll also be telling you what's on and where you can submit your work. This month we'll be interviewing Antonia Jade King and chatting about the Mersey Sound by Roger McGough, McGough, Brian Patton and Adrian Henry. And we'll be bringing you a poetry writing tip from Iris Colombe and a poetry recording from Elizabeth McGoan. Colombe and McGoan, that's what I thought. There could be a double act. (laughs) You come here for the poetry, guys. That's right. So what have you been up to this month? Uh moving i've been moving flats um from one flat to another flat around the corner that's been exciting um, pandemic house moving pandemic house moving not for the first time during this pandemic either so that's been interesting um but good um but it's meant i've not been doing quite so much poetry all i've really been doing is losing my poetry books that i do have if anyone knows where my copy of A Portable Paradise by Roger Robinson is within my oh, flat, no. because it's here somewhere. <laughs> um, I've been too good. I like thoroughly packed everything away like almost as soon as we've moved in. And now I can't find anything, obviously. <laughs> so I don't know where I've put it. Um, it is so, so portable that you have, in fact, transported it's it It's so portable. I mean, have you guys been on the tube recently? Because that last poem is everywhere. Uh, I haven't been on the tube since March, so no. I actually took uh, his book Adventures in 3D on holiday, which I must have bought off him at a night, God knows when. Um, It is Mm. signed, (laughs) so I know I got it in person. Um, And I assumed it was poetry. It's not, it's short stories, but they are bloody awesome. I absolutely love them. Um, Yeah, my partner teaches and was telling me that they were doing one of his short stories in class the other day. I've never read them, but I'm interested in it. They are all really kind of funny and heartfelt and a bit weird. And like the first one, the moment I read it, I stopped and then read it out to my girlfriend because I was giggling hard. Mm. She was like, what is it? And I read it out and then I read the next one. And then I was like, no, I need to read you this one too. <laughs> so they, they are absolutely <laughs> awesome. Definitely recommend. Yeah, well, maybe I'll just find a copy of that other book. through. <laughs> Uh, in the meantime, while I'm waiting to find my copy of A Portable Paradise. Um, but yeah, that the last poem in that book is all over the tube at the moment. If anyone remembers what a tube is, there's about <laughs> four poems that are just up where all the advertising usually is because no one's advertising, funnily uh, enough. Um, exactly. Um, so that's happening. Um, what else? It's been a pretty quiet uh, poetry month for me. I've still been doing uh, the 100-day writing challenge from Tim Clare. Um, which I'm on day 88 of now, so getting there. Yeah, haven't done it all the way through. Nice job. Nearly there, Um, reading our book of the month for this month. I also saw Robin Lamble, a previous guest on the show, has started up a new open mic, I think. It's kind of billed as something to do with an eco open mic, fresh eco poetry open mic on YouTube, which looks quite interesting. Um, I don't know what makes it an eco poetry open mic as opposed to just a normal poetry open mic. Um, that's run by Poets for the Planet. Um, and they had Jamal Hassan, who is an absolute legend featuring. So haven't seen it yet, but I'm hoping to catch up on that one. Mm. That sounds awesome because, yeah, love Robin, love Jamal. That sounds like a very good combination. Mm. 
How about you, Hannah? Ah, what have I been up to? I spotted some debates online, which I thought probably might be an interesting topic, about, um, I think it's America's Got Talent, the TV show. Apparently their winner this year is a poet. So I saw a couple of posts of someone trying to solicit UK poets to go on Britain's Got Talent with a hey, what do you think? Maybe maybe it's time for poetry to be a headliner. What do you think? And then I saw a few poets, including some names you might know, saying, mm, I was actually approached and I turned it down. Okay. Because there's this, yeah, the, the like reality TV shows will do the villain edit or they will mm-hmm. do the we need someone to laugh at. And poetry <laughs> is a really easy, obvious whipping boy. You don't yep. need to edit things yeah. that much and have a few reaction shots and maybe sound effect and suddenly it looks like this is <laughs> shit. Um, so I was quite surprised to see, like, and someone had an example that their mate had gone on to some similar thing, whether or not it was that. I don't know if their mate was a poet, but I had, who was very talented at what they do, makes a living at it, but got the, whoa, this is shit edit and, like, took a giant dive for their mental health and stuff. So... I thought that was really so, interesting on a kind of, yeah, how how mainstream do we want to be and do we trust the vehicles that might bring us to a bigger audience? Yeah, it's interesting that they're seeking them out as though, you know, maybe they're hoping to discover the next kind of Kate Tempest or kind of Lin-Manuel Miranda. Do you know what I mean? Like people, people who... That there right. are people in the public eye where they're starting to think, oh, actually, maybe if we could get one of those, it would be good. But yeah, the pitfalls of also being mm-hmm. a dickhead are, uh, yeah. But like America has a very different attitude to poetry because they've got things like Def Jam poetry, which has been going for years. Yeah. I can't remember mm-hmm. if it's still going or not, but there's a generation who were raised with a fairly mainstream TV show showing some damn good slam poetry. So whether right. it's this embarrassing punchline or not, culturally, it's quite it's quite a different attitude yeah i know last year i think it was harry and chris went on some american um tv show reality show thing um i don't know how that worked out for them um it'd be interesting to know more about that and i imagine like if you turn Mm. up with a cute british accent in the states you probably get a slightly different well that's true like yeah i i don't know what i think about it really i think because there's there's occasionally been debates about selling out, about whether you're selling out if you do say a Nat West ad. I say fucking take it. Like probably nationwide. So I think it's it's an interesting one because there's different transatlantic approaches, and there is whether you trust this particular show, whether you, and whether poetry poetry is such an easy whipping boy anyway. Because so many people think it's a punchline, that mm. I can see why people are extra sensitive. But on the other hand, I think things that bring poetry to a wider audience are awesome. Like mm-hmm. I remember the things that that led me to discovering spoken word and I'm still extra fond of sort of the first few artists that I saw in person and that kind of thing. And I think if there's a generation growing up seeing little bits of this on a nationwide advert who might go, ooh, hello, that's... Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I think that's great. <laughs> um, but also, do you trust the Britain's Got Talent editing team? Probably not. I mean... People this month lost their shit about diversity doing uh, oh, Black Lives Matter yeah. inspired dance in Britain's Got Talent. Like, yeah. can you imagine mm-hmm. somebody going up there and doing their poems about, you know, gender identity, doing this stuff about, you know, racial equality, doing this stuff about any kind of 
any kind of political poem and i don't mean political in a big p kind of sense i mean like anything that's vaguely about yeah. identity or about um guess... that isn't funny anything that isn't funny anything that is actually serious and just having it accepted i just don't see yeah the yeah. thing you know it's the thing about I mean poetry that is interesting is that it's often subversive and not the kind of thing that's going to make itv tea time this isn't a new debate though like pam airs no. was i think she won some talent show yeah opportunity knocks in the 70s like this mm. it's not a new discussion mm. i didn't realize that was how she'd come mm. to yeah yeah that's how she became uh famous really for her poetry was because she was on a talent show but i also feel like the talent show genre then was different in that you know now it's a kind of more reality tv angle we kind of want to see people fail i don't Mm. know that that was quite such a Mm. uh an aspect of it in the 70s maybe anything else hannah what's all this about a trello board yeah oh so the other thing is um because i uh (laughs) what is a trello board yeah, I was going to say that. I'm glad someone else has. Oh asked. gosh. Yeah. Um. So. Like a um, Ouija board. I mean, <laughs> I I'm not above uh, attempting some like occult, occult methods to get my inspiration. Um, I'm going, no, I'm going uh, to the woods for a week. I'm taking my Ouija board and a notebook. <laughs> <laughs> Hannah's writing with three twenty. Just off with some knuckle bones and tarot cards. See you later. I've got my shawl. I'll be fine. Feed the cat. No. Um. I, Trello, as in uh, Trello.com, is a way to uh, organize your work and stuff. It's like uh, like Pinterest for writing. You just kind of organize organize your shit. You don't share it. Maybe Pinterest for writing is a bad term. It's it's an online organize your thoughts system, and I tend to put okay. um, quite a lot of my poems in it because it um, it works uh, online and offline. So I can say edit something while I was on the underground back in mm-hmm. the day. And then when I broke cover, it would, you know, Why would you be save. underground? Right. Um, but any, I, I, the, the reason that I've set up a new Trello board recently is um, I have got a week off of the day job coming up just because I have some annual leave to burn through and, you know, <laughs> not saving it for the Edinburgh Fringe anymore. Um, and I've decided to treat it as a kind of stay-at-home writing retreat. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had some ideas on the boil on a back burner for probably over two years now where I keep saying that I've got a good idea it feels like a really rich seam I just haven't really written any of it down yet but I've got so many ideas um and in the process of gathering stuff into this online system ahead of I've got a week off to I've realized that I've actually got a lot more scraps than I thought um Mm -hmm. but yeah, I'm basically approaching this as a project, but without a deadline, which is quite rare because usually my projects are, fuck, it's the Edinburgh Fringe. Fuck, I need to do the thing. <laughs> um, and so instead, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to work out what the sort of themes are. But I also have an evening uh, this week uh, scheduled to have a phone call with Faye Roberts, the poet, Aww. who is also a project manager. Mm-hmm. or a systems oh, change yeah. project manager i believe and they have offered their services for me to basically bounce ideas <laughs> and Faye will ask questions and i will try to answer them and i'm not sure i'm going to be able to answer them very well but it will helpfully hopefully help me shape this work out what direction i'm going for when i actually get to sort of pen to paper 
I miss those kinds of discussions. <sighs> they still can happen, but they're just, yeah, I feel like the opportunities to fall into talking about them are fewer in the first place. Oh, like, I, I had another thing this week, which uh, a, a night which will remain nameless had recorded the Zoom and then stuck it online without mentioning it to people. Oof. And this seemed not cool, and I had a word and it was taken down again. But I was feeling weird about it for about a week before I approached anyone because I basically hadn't bumped into a poet to have a discussion about it. Mm-hmm. And I knew I felt weird, but I hadn't mm-hmm. sort of had a reality check with someone else in in the scene because I hadn't bumped into anyone in the scene because we're, we're not going home. out the things. Yeah. Um yeah, like that that was resolved, but um but yeah, it is weird just the things that don't I I've started to realize which things didn't get processed because I didn't meet a person to talk about them with. Yeah, we are each other's sounding boards. Yeah. How about you, Rebecca? Uh, I'm all right. Um, what have I been up to? I did the Hammer and Tongue Cambridge uh, Regional Final the, at the beginning of this month. Uh, didn't get through, but had a fantastic time. Uh, saw some fantastic poets. And yeah, it was, a good, it was a good night. And that was interesting because I think some people that I know watched it on Facebook and then were messaging me up as being like, that was great. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. I didn't, didn't, didn't know you were watching, even yeah. though I... You know, I plugged it on my Facebook, but I didn't actually expect people to watch it, which is very nice. And yeah, and then we all hung around afterwards, like on the Zoom call, actually Chatting. just having a bit of a chat until oh, like nice. shit o'clock yeah. in the morning. And oh, yeah, I missed that. Good. I did yeah, that on the Ron Rookie's one. It was really nice. And then what else have I done? Oh, I attended Insight run. What's the, what's the night called? Is it called Insight? No, Insight with an exclamation mark. Ah, I attended Insight with an exclamation mark, which is run by Hannah Hutzper, which I think should also have an exclamation mark on it. <laughs> And yeah, that was good fun. That was a good night. The uh, host was great. <laughs> uh, it was a 10-year anniversary, which is an interesting one because I'm sort of the fifth host. They've had, I mean, sometimes it's been in pairs, but it's, I'm the current guardian, but I am in no way sort of feel qualified to talk about, yeah, 10 years of the same one. I've been around for the last two. <laughs> so, mm. yeah. yeah. No, and uh, yeah, fantastic uh, featured set from uh, former host who's in Malaysia, which was really cool to watch. Was it Malaysia? Cat Brogan, yeah. Yeah. Yes, Cat from Malaysia, which is, that was very cool. So yeah, uh, and that's pretty much been my month. I know I said last month that I'm like, I'm going to attend more and I'm going to write more. Yeah. Hasn't happened. Fuck it. It will eventually. Yeah, I had, remember, uh, I had a flatmate who was doing a PhD and he was like, I'm pushing, I'm really pushing. And we kind of, we came to the conclusion it was either going to be a baby or a turd. So, <laughs> yeah, that was, that was, it's, but, you know, you're pushing, it's going to, we'll see how it comes out. Yep. Um, <laughs> I think that's, that's true of a lot of the poetry at the moment. So yeah. Uh, so, shall we do an interview? Let's do an interview. <laughs> Sounds good. When I say let's, I mean... For logistical reasons, Laurie couldn't be present for our interview with AJ or Antonia J. King. So, myself and Hannah, earlier in the week, spoke to AJ, and here's how it went. Can I just add that I'm really annoyed that I missed this interview, uh, because I love AJ and her work, and it's a real shame on my part. So, sorry, AJ. <laughs> This month's interview is with Antonia Jade King. Devon-born, London-based poet Antonia Jade King is one of the hosts of the Boomerang Club and a Hammer and Tongue national finalist. She was part of the Apples and Snakes Writing Room programme in 2018, a Barbican Young Poet in 2019, and has performed at various events including Love Supreme Festival and Rallying Cry at Battersea Arts Centre. Antonia is studying for a PhD on the cultural impact of the 90s sitcom The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Her debut pamphlet, She Too is a Sailor, is full of protest and melody, invoking a choir of inspirational women from Beyonce to Maya Angelou to the poet's mother. 
King deconstructs what it means to be a woman, to be other, to be an outsider in your own family. It is published by Bad Betty Press. So AJ, thank you very much for joining us. Hi, thank you for having me. That was such a nice intro. Yeah, I mostly stole it off your website. Or not your website, uh, um, like publishers' websites and uh, I think, yeah, stuff where you've um, where you featured. Um, anyway, would you be able to kick us off with a poem? Yes, I can. I'm going to go with the uh, first poem in my pamphlet, if that's okay. And it's yep. Antonio Jade King. Antonio Jade King. In my mum's mouth, it means I named you so men do not need to. In his mouth, it sounds like my mum's mistakes. It sounds like I will name you with my hands. It sounds like I will name you Ant. Ant like small brown thing, something you don't want. Occasionally, I still hear him filling my name with ants. Mum didn't name me before I was born. Unable to know me before she heard me cry, he felt the same. She gave me her surname, not a man's. Thought that if they followed my name, maybe they would follow me too, but my name is not protection from men or theirs hands. I want a new name. One that only my mother knows. Because this one now sounds like ant. Ant like small brown thing. Ant like do you know how much she can hold on her back? I will give this new name only to my mother. It will not fall into the mouths of men who still think me in need of naming. Oh, I love that one. That has got yeah. It's it's so concise and it packs so many punches. Yeah, that line about do you know how much you can carry on her back. You didn't re- reference violence, but knows knows me till my till I cry and the two meanings on that. Jesus, Oof. thank you. Um, I I wrote this actually in a workshop with Rachel Long. Ah, uh-huh. yay! Um, <laughs> yeah, which I think is one of the reasons like it is concise because she's great at just helping you get to to the crux of what you're actually trying to say with the poem and I'm coming from more of a spoken word than page background like I have a tendency to obviously uh extend and explain and make Mm. sure things understood and um so yeah and actually that takes us into your your collection she too is a sailor published by bad betty press so your launch was awesome. Um, I I loved it. But what surprised me when I heard you reading pieces and when I saw them also is it's not necessarily like if someone's heard you perform and goes, yeah, I've heard five poems yeah. by AJ. It's, yeah. not, it's not necessarily, a lot of it was new material and it seemed to be much shorter, perhaps more pagey. Yeah. Yeah. I I would agree. I think... When, when I first started with poetry, it was very much performance-based. And since kind of coming into the world of poetry, I have, I guess, spent more time with the page now um, mm-hmm. and building up that element of what I do and trying to up my skills there and trying to, to write shorter poems, yeah, and, and experimenting with things that I would have never thought I was going to even care about or, or or know about when I first kind of entered entered the poetry world, like form and, and the importance of a title and all of these things, which I now really love, um, mm-hmm. love playing with. I just would not have, would not have expected myself to, 
to to become I guess a poet with this focus um you focus on those things but it's yeah it's interesting your collection is very focused on your own identity your relationship with your mother could you sort of what's your sort of elevator pitch or sort of quick (laughs) how would you describe to someone who's oh great question um I always think of this as a kind of an introduction to who I am by way of phenomenal women in my life or I look up to I think that that's what I kind of try to do with it at least which was like I find that who I am and what I care about and just who I am as a person is pretty much 100% due to to women in my life either actually in my life or the women I read or all of this and it's kind of an ode to them and an ode to the impact they have had on me if you like yeah and kind of with that in mind like your, your poetry often includes kind of pop culture references and then kind of blends them with politics and why is that something you're drawn to how do you feel that works within the collection interesting because i i've always just had a passion for for popular culture in particular popular culture that's deemed trivial or only only relevant to one particular audience or just not significant in any way and I think that comes from studying history and dealing with so many manuscripts written by the same type of person and (laughs) I think it's given me a real love and appreciation for popular culture and popular culture's role in my life has been pretty fundamental as well and I find that there's a lot in popular culture yeah and I think I think popular culture I mean from from when I speak to friends and as well as thinking thinking about my own relationship with popular culture, I find that so many key moments in our life are determined by what we're watching. When you think about the 90s, you think of certain sitcoms. When you think about certain years, you think, oh, there's that concert I went to. And I think we have a tendency to really undermine um, or maybe not not fully acknowledge the role it can have. Um, mm. So yeah. Obviously, you're, doing, you're going to be doing a PhD on the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Yeah, I'm still so excited. That's so cool. I've dined out so many times being like my friend is doing a PhD on the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air like genuinely <laughs> if I manage to pull it off but I'm excited and that's quite a good example of like because you you did get into a debate on Twitter at one point when sort of a couple of your tweets kind of got a bit more attention and, and sort of you were getting questioned by people being like but how can you do a PhD on this this isn't important yeah and it's interesting because so Popular culture traditionally isn't used as a, as a historical source, right? It's usually mm-hmm. like manuscripts, this letter that they found in this cave, like libraries, like old religious texts and things like that. And that aspect of history is amazing. But certain people's voices weren't deemed like significant enough to, I don't know, save their letters. Um, So in order to find certain voices, you need to look at popular culture, in particular black voices. Like if you go to the National Portrait Gallery, I always think that's an that's a really great example of why you need to look in popular mm. culture if you want to find black voices black opinion black representation because yeah it's one of the places you can find it um and so it's always really interesting to me when people are like but where are the manuscripts and i'm like i don't know you tell me where are our manuscripts because i don't know so <laughs> like if you find them i'll happily i'll happily look into them but yeah i think there's also something about like that that debate where people have about history and about you know um what's higher and what doesn't really count and what's pop culture like Shakespeare was pop culture of his day like it was Mm -hmm. a couple of pennies for a ticket and you would go and stand and you would throw veg at the people and you would sit and have a chat and catch up while people were performing and sort of there's this idea that it was always this kind of holy revered thing (laughs) and 
and it's not and it kind of feels like it misses the point as well or like like Sherlock Holmes is Pulp Fiction do you know what I mean like he just Conan Doyle to just turn that out and somehow we see this as kind of this is sort of acceptable to be a bit into but another stuff doesn't really count and is it sort of just the passage of time that makes that or yeah Hmm. Yeah, like, and, and with Shakespeare as well, there's so many like penis jokes in there. Really, yeah. really like a low brow. And I have done thy mother. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's like some of the best insults of all time. Like, it's incredible. But yeah, and I think there's so many class implications of when of when mm. more popular culture as well. Um, because I always say, if you want to understand a period of time what was on people's screens is one of the best ways to do that. Mm. People were listening to what was on people's screens is the best way of actually understanding the mood of a moment, I think. We've sort of touched briefly on Beyonce, but I feel like (laughs) for your interview, she needs infinitely more airtime. Like, what? I feel like she does. (laughs) <laughs> yes, who is who is the greatest artist in pop culture ever and why is it Beyonce, Antonio? I, I truly believe she's the greatest living entertainer. I think she's a great example of like what I mean by the importance of, of popular culture as well. Just because so Black is King dropped um, over, I think it was just towards the end of Lockdown Ended. I might have got that wrong, but very recently. And... Um, and me and my me and my partner had had like quite a stressful day, um, and then we just sat down, put it on, and within like twenty minutes, we're both just kind of crying into our glasses of wine. And I think, um, and I think you you miss out on if you ignore the role that popular culture is having on individuals, um, then you miss out on on the significance of what was happening there, um, and the significance of a massive group of people tuning in to watch this bit of media and what that does from what that does for popular opinion, what that does for conversations, what that does for, for mm. conversations happening online, you know? Um, and I yeah. think she's a great example of that, actually, as well, of, of what popular culture can create and, and do outside of itself. I know you've done some kind of, had some, so you've done Barbican Young Poets. Yeah. You had at least one other kind of, these these sort of coaching, like you work closely with Kat Francois as well. Like you've had these kind of coaching, mentoring situations, which I'm dead envious of. Could you tell us a bit about those and what you think those sort of add to your writing, your performance, your, yeah. Um, I think, I know, touching on what we said earlier about me focusing more on the page and um that that that's been you know those kind of experiences have been instrumental in that I also did the writing room um which is for those who don't know it's I think it's a six or seven week program run by apples and snakes and they get one uh, established poet to come in and uh basically tutor a group of of young people young poets um and you have about six sessions and then it ends in a showcase and I had to reach along as my my tutor for that and that was amazing um and then I work yeah I work with Kat Francois um there's a weekly zoom call that happens with Kat and a few other amazing poets on the London scene um as well and I think those those spaces are really important and I'm really passionate about them being extended to people over 25 as well oh Um, god please (laughs) yes please yeah (laughs) I only became aware of a lot of them as I was about 26 on the dot it was yeah 
<laughs> I turned I turned 26 in August and I'm like oh, okay I guess I I guess I've I've, I've done all my development now mm. <laughs> well, welcome to being over the hill it's you are now mid-career <laughs> <laughs> um yeah and I think I think those spaces are are great for for people like myself who are who came into the space is very performance focused and and want to uh work with the page more but also you know the other way around as well I was in the writing room with a few amazing poets who who were using that opportunity more to to get better in in terms of performance and get ready for the showcase and 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 get better at getting their work out there verbally and going to nights a bit more so I think those spaces are really really important and I think that's a really interesting point as well because I think there's a slight tendency to think of you know you start out doing spoken word poetry and then you kind of get a bit more serious and learn how to do it for the page and learn how to do things properly and kind yeah. of learn technical terms and you know there's, there's some truth to kind of you know having to think about it a bit more on the page and having to um it often goes hand in hand with um getting more critical feedback than just a round of applause or no round of applause um <laughs> which is often the feedback you get for spoken word but you know who goes like, who gives no round of applause god but you know sometimes <laughs> when you just feel like oh that like, did not enthusiastic yeah <laughs> yeah they didn't lose their shit that time okay not one of my best ones <laughs> we've all been there uh but yeah, like yeah i think there is it's a really interesting point that you can learn that that actually if you're writing for the page a lot you can learn something from this idea of performance, both in terms of self-promotion, but also in terms of that method of storytelling and that that attitude to poetry, perhaps. Yeah, I just think they're two they're two very complementary but very different skill sets. And I I I truly just don't I, I don't understand the discourse around one being better or worse. Like I I really don't. <laughs> I, I, yeah. For me, for me, it makes it makes absolutely no sense. And again, I think there's a lot of class and and yep. in terms of when of when page poets are like, but it isn't written down. Ah, uh, <laughs> because maybe that particular poem and that particular story exists exists in the performance world and exists beautifully and doesn't need to live on forever necessarily. No. Or- or rely on humour and getting that laugh from the audience is key to understanding story. Yeah, there's so many variables. Or like um, audience participation adds into it or, yeah. It's part of the creation almost. When you get to reach people who maybe, for any particular reason, wouldn't wouldn't go into the poetry section of Waterstones and mm. they should have to in order to, to be exposed to beautiful beautiful poetry and stories, you know? And is there also something, have you found in what, length you write to as well because the the example you gave us is this very very taut um boiled down Mm. reduced sort of uh, there's there's nothing spare on that Mm. but then in terms of like I've performed poems that were unusually short and so at a night where I think it was oh god I think it was at Genesis where Mm. people do music in between the poems Oh, and wow. I did my poem, it was dead short, and I walked off, and there was no music because the person who would be doing it was like, oh, wait, what? Shoot. Like, oh, no. just, just the expectation <laughs> of how long I would be there for mm. without actually having a rule. Like, it's you, you don't go over yeah. the time limit, but no one sort of says, got to be at least 40 seconds. <laughs> I think particularly for slams as well, like, mm. I think you struggle. It's not impossible, perhaps, but I think you struggle 
with a short poem to actually get the points. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, yeah. I, think, I think people kind of want some time to get into it, to see where it's going, to have a think about it. Like, they kind of, people are a bit thrown, I think, in terms of points. If yeah. You, if you do yeah. a short poem. I do, I, I tend to only do short poems if I've got a bit more time with the audience. Um, mm. so if I've been if I've been invited to do like a, te- a 10 minutes for example then I'll include some shorter poems yeah I do, I do think that I I mean I love hearing short poems when I'm listening to live poetry personally I just I should enjoy it I always think it's it's incredible and I like seeing uh what poets can do with not that many words I think that's that's something that poets even you know all kinds of poets spoken word poets stage poets I think one thing I really love about the craft is seeing uh, how clever they can be in a short space of time. I mean, because if you think about it, three minutes even is not long to tell a story. Right. Um, no. So, you know, I, I love it, but I do tend to only do it when I've got a bit more a bit more time. I think because, as you say, when you first got onto the stage, there's an element of grabbing the audience's attention of them winding down from the piece they've just heard, for example. Um, mm. So I, I do tend to do longer pieces there, pieces with a bit more of an arc to it. The title piece of your collection, She Too is a Sailor, that did start out as a, a spoken word piece, didn't it? And then kind of got a bit sort of trimmed down to become a piece for the collection. Is that right? Yeah, and I and I have a longer version of it that I perform still. Ah, so you got, yeah. Yeah. What are the differences? The differences are, uh, I repeat the the key line, I guess, a few more times. Um, there's a bit more of a build-up to certain images, and it's interesting because I look at the two pieces and I view them as very, very similar, but also there are there are some major differences in terms of uh, I repeat more um, in the piece that I perform because I feel like in order to get the same impact with repetition on stage, I feel like you have to say it a few more times almost. I feel like, <laughs> yeah. I feel like on the page, the repetition is a bit more, it, it highlights it a bit quicker. Yeah. yeah. I feel like on the stage, in order to get that same impact from the repetition, you maybe need to throw it in a couple more times um just to really get that get that same punch as opposed to when you're reading it yeah I was having a conversation with Hannah Gordon recently actually and I was saying that like since lockdown my husband and I we've been watching some films together but we've also been watching like a few of the where the theatres have put on plays you know sort of filmed filmed the productions and there was um Small Island Adrian Levy's Small Island we Mm -hmm. were watching and um there was an adaptation that the Hammersmith Lyric did of uh, Ibsen's A Dollhouse but it was set in Bengal during um the Raj Oh, Uh, yeah, which is really interesting. So we were sat watching that and I realised that we end up having much more debate between ourselves about the different characters after watching a play versus watching a film. And I think, and and I was was saying this to Hannah Gordon and that, you know, I think it's kind of, it's something about film, you know, directs you to certain people's reactions. You know, when you've just filmed a stage, you can look at wherever you want on stage and who's reacting to what, whereas a film see somebody else's eyes while someone says this devastating thing and you know their reaction is the important bit or you know you feel more mm. for them. and she said yeah that's kind of the difference between page and stage poetry really isn't it Ooh. yeah that all your sort of gesture tone of voice etc is the kind of director's lens a bit yeah yeah this is how you're meant to feel about this there's a lot more direction that goes into it rather than kind of like here is the story yeah yeah. yeah i can see that also i feel like when you're reading something there's much more of a tendency to relate it to yourself quicker. It's your personal experience with what you're reading on the page. Whereas uh, when, whereas mm. when they're saying to you, they're more central. Whereas I feel like when, yeah. you, 
something there's a tendency to center yourself in what you're reading whereas when you're visually seeing the poet read it it's very much their poem and they're not your narrator for the evening because you might be seeing five poets ten poets Mm. depending on the night you're at Mm -hmm. this is the person that's in front of you right now not yeah I mean, I also think with a lot of performance poetry and maybe maybe more particularly slam and that kind of thing, there's a tendency, like, it's fairly safe to assume that the I in a poem is supposed to literally be the poet. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Whereas whereas on page poetry, there's, there's, it's not necessarily a given that the person speaking is the um, is literally the person writing it. You're less likely to have an unreliable narrator uh, on a poetry thing because then people, you know, you get to the interval and someone's done a poem in the character of a shit <laughs> and then people might think that you're a shit or, yeah oh. unless there's kind of a framing or a sort of nod of we both know this isn't actually me yeah or sorry this is a this is a tangent but once upon a time i think it was at boomerang uh-huh. well over a year ago probably someone did a poem all about premature ejaculation a male poet did a poem all about premature ejaculation about how terrible it is about how it's like plaguing him and then as he got off stage he suddenly it was really ironically it was a really quite long-winded poem um and then (laughs) as he finished the poem you could see he suddenly realized that he just shared that with room and then went oh that that wasn't about me and then got off stage (laughs) (laughs) it was it was very surprising I had a lot of thoughts about that afterwards. Like, yeah, was yeah. that genuinely written not as him? Or if it was about him, how did it take him until he was about to leave the stage to be like, oh, shit, maybe I won't pick up tonight. <laughs> Performance spaces are very social spaces. And I think yeah. that does impact things people will share. Yeah, to mm. put people off sharing stuff that is less likeable. Particularly how small the poetry scene is in London as well. Mm. I think it's small. Other people are like, oh, it's such a big scene. I, I think it's I think it's quite a small scene. And um and there's lots I love about that. But also if you're going to uh, a poetry night and you know like 10 people there, I feel like it's only natural that there's certain stuff you're not going to want to, you're not going to want to talk yeah. about. Share, you know? Yeah. Mature ejaculation, for example. <laughs> I know, but then I also feel the stuff that from kind of, you know, my life outside of poetry that I might share on the stage within mm. these kind of specific parameters wouldn't necessarily put them in a book where my mother's going to read them. Um, yeah. Not necessarily just my mum, uh, but like, like, <laughs> you know, yeah. like just... Yeah. Actually, my mum's my fairly chill about most things, and they like to come to poetry nights. And m- both my parents laugh really hard at all the rude sex jokes, <gasps> like, just to embarrass me. It's oh, great. No. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Legend. <laughs> but um, yeah, they uh, like yeah. There are certain things that kind of you you might do within a performance space that you wouldn't then just put out into the world for anybody to read. Yeah. What is there yeah. anything you decided not to put in the pamphlet, AJ? No, actually, and <laughs> and in hindsight, <laughs> there's some not none of the really personal stuff. There's just some stuff about family in there, and I didn't, you know, quite realize how how vocal my mom was going to be about sharing the book to to like everyone because obviously she's like, oh, my daughter's got a book published, and I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I call my uncle out in this, and he's <laughs> now he's like ordered a copy because you're like, oh, Antonia's got a book. Um, <laughs> I spent a tenner to find out she doesn't like me. (laughs) Hopefully, you won't get it. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. (laughs) 
we can hope. Um, <laughs> but, um, I think like I was very free with the page. I think because I felt that distance. Mm. Um, and then I put it out, and I was like, "Oh no, my name is very much on the front. I'm I'm not distant from this bit of work at all." <laughs> Yeah, you don't have to make eye contact with them in the bar afterwards, but <laughs> I mean that. Yeah, and I think I got very, very free with that. And and Amy Aker, who was an amazing editor, there were a few times when she was like, Are "You cool with this going in?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, it's fine." Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because one of them, I don't know if it's the, it's the one you're talking about, but there's, there's a, a really a great poem about Christmas morning. Oh, and... that one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> so it's about race and yeah. sort of dealing with white family on christmas morning is that right aj yeah 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 bang on um yeah so yeah it's just about a particular christmas i had um where the whole family thought it would be a really great idea to spend christmas together mm. <laughs> on paper sure <laughs> um, in practice yeah there was some issues and some alienation and what yeah. can yeah can you can you t- eat or could you give us the poem is it short can you remember it is it it's 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 not short Okay, no. <laughs> and it is also worth seeing on page i think because, yeah, like, because again like talking about your sort of the, where you were talking about form earlier it's kind of laid out really interestingly Ooh, like it's okay two, i am going to go back to my sides on the page kind of thing. Your pamphlet. like trenches and i was so proud <laughs> yeah, it, i love that i love everything about the poem it's so good oh thank you but um and i think yeah i mean it's interesting you were saying that like you feel like you wouldn't necessarily put things in a book where like you have no le- less control over who is going to read it and I, I I kind of weirdly felt the opposite I was like everything could go into the book mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and it was only at the launch when I was like oh yeah no I'm very not distant from this bit of work like, <laughs> <laughs> also I feel like we should tell the story about your launch because it, it is it is kind of as rock and roll as poetry gets I think oh my knee yeah your knee <laughs> Okay, so yeah, so it was about 3pm, the day of my book launch, I'm in H&M on Oxford Street, I'm trying to get an outfit and I hadn't found one all day and then anyone who's been to like the big H&M on Oxford Street, there's like many mini escalators, the building is very tall and thin and I'm, it's funny now and I (laughs) I was going down the escalator and at the corner of my eye I saw like an outfit and so I turned to try and walk up the down escalator and then went over on my knee like got to the top grabbed the outfit like I went over on my knee but I didn't think it was like too big a deal like I just kind of got back up as you do and then grabbed the outfit and then like a kid pointed at my leg and screamed and started crying to his mum and I was like oh what's wrong with my leg and I looked down and I'd done a really really bad car like to the bone car kind of thing Ooh, I, think, I didn't realize I, it was that bad fuck yeah I didn't feel it instantly I think because well I asked the A&E doctor and he was Adrenaline. like this probably just kicked in really quick um and then once I saw it I was like in the hall I still feel bad I went I had to go to the changing room in H&M and they like cleared out the changing room for me because I was bleeding a lot and it was the manager's (laughs) first day oh god (laughs) (laughs) I keep meaning to walk in with some flowers or something for him and it was the manager's first day he'd moved to London like that weekend to start the new job as the manager oh god and then in our icon. Welcome to London. We have crazy <laughs> poets here. <laughs> Triage. Jesus. And then they tried to call an ambulance, but the ambulance was taking uh, quite a while. And so they were like, can you just make your own way to hospital? Oh, what? 
Yeah, and then we got to A. So this was about five p.m. now. So we got to A and E. Luckily, my mum was with me because she was obviously up for the launch. And then so we got to A and E, and they were like, "Oh, you're gonna have to wait." And we showed them the letter that the paramedic had written at H and M, like, "See her soon. It's probably already infected. This is an escalator wound. She needs saline." And they were like, "Yeah, no, still away." And so I was like, "Well, if I can wait like two hours, I can surely wait like six and do the launch." <laughs> because <laughs> I was like well I mean a wait is a wait <laughs> the receptionist and she was like two hours is not the same as six or seven can you please just stay here and I was like well either I can wait or I can't mm. um, so I went from the launch with it kind of just like semi bandaged up I guess <laughs> what about this Jesus. yeah and like my, my memory of that night is you coming back and forth across the stage and every time <laughs> It was like initially it's like oh she's fine and then after and then initially it's like you look like you're limping a little bit more this time yeah. and every time it's like oh no that that's looking more painful now like, it's pronounced now AJ needs to go to hospital yeah I mean, <laughs> some quite strong pain meds um in H&M like the original paramedic who saw me or whatever and I think they just kind of slowly wore off Oh no! <laughs> so, like, by the time I got to A and E at the end, I was with my mum and my partner, and I, it was it was a situation. But I made it to the launch. You so. did, <laughs> yeah. Show must go on. Jesus, as I'm sure Beyonce would say, she would. She would. There have been like many wardrobe malfunctions, and and I'm sure injuries and sprains and stuff. And she has found her way onto stage and. You know, so the least I could do is, is perform with a with a with a massive cut on my right knee. You know, so yeah, circling kind of background from kind of you know uh, the book launch, circling kind of background. How did you initially discover spoken word poetry? So I was in third year of uni, and I lived in halls, and there was like a coffee shop, come bar, come lunch place at the, on the ground floor of my halls. And I just went in one night, and there was a spoken word night, and I just remember finding it really, really interesting and intriguing. And then one of my friends at the time was just getting into the scene, if you like, and invited me to uh, forget what you heard, actually. Oh, and, yeah. Oh. Uh, and looking back, it must have been one of the last forget what you heard. Um, um, so that's kind of how I got into it and then I just kind of found it a really welcoming space and it coincided with me finishing uni uh, so finishing like my very sheltered campus uni lifestyle and moving moving to London so uh, yeah it was it was it was just a very it's all it's a very welcoming environment isn't it I mean poets are just lovely in general so mm. yeah it's just kind of very much got into it from the kind of night-based spoken word scene um, and then just kind of never left. Kind of. <laughs> and now that you're doing this academic work up to PhD level, do you think that's having a that's trickling back to how you write poetically? Oh, famously, academics write in uh, unusually long-winded ways sometimes. But obviously, also you're doing this like just unnecessary language. Like sometimes, just say big. You need to say gargantuan. Like. So I, we we got that we got it. <laughs> um, yeah, it's interesting because my supervisor always tells me I write a bit too creatively, which I always, yeah. I, I always find. What quite does that mean? Yeah, yeah. I think like I've I've asked her this, and I think it means like long sentences, 
or just like doing maybe slightly more quirky things with punctuation than you would traditionally see in academic texts. I don't know, but <laughs> that, that seems to be the gist of it. Um, but it's interesting because even like in my academia and in my kind of more creative writing, neither in neither of those fields am I really interested in like the big things. So, you know, the big events, the big moments, the... the, mm. the things so I'm not like in, in my personal writing I've never really written about a big moment like a breakup or anything like that and in and in my academic writing I haven't really ever written about like a big key event other than in undergraduate where it's a bit more it's a mm. bit more structured in what you have to write about mm. um, and it, that that crossover is interesting to me so kind of a under, understanding life or history as, as a whole through the little and the everyday rather than the kind of the big and the cataclysmic is that fair yeah yeah exactly like I haven't haven't written a, a covid poem um <laughs> or, or a poem about even you know the recent political events like the the George Floyd murder and and these key events which I am obviously devastated by and very interested and very um like passionate about and I'm talking about them a lot um mm. But in terms of actually writing about them, I haven't haven't really found a way of, of of doing that yet. I seem to have I seem to have a block on my writing when it comes to, to anything I, I view as like huge. Hmm. Um yeah. It's like I feel like I don't have the right tools to access anything that big. Feels like, you know, I'm approaching like a, like a massive iceberg with like a pickaxe. I feel mm. like I need more, I feel like I need a smaller rock with my my with my tools you know yeah um, yeah I don't know but sometimes I feel like the pressure to say the big thing about mm. my thing too obvious and yeah mm. sometimes it's easy to be like okay well here is the tiny corner of it that that I understand or yeah 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 exactly yeah I feel like the pressure to encompass the whole thing is not useful because I genuinely think if you think you can write the whole thing you being simplistic or not paying enough attention or like there's going to be so many angles there's so many facets there's yeah. I've got a unfinished draft about a, my years ago my uncle took us to Niagara Falls and the Maid of the Mist the kind of boat that goes into the sort of foam and you get completely soaked and you wear a pon- plastic poncho um and I was fascinated by the bubbles that were coming up because, like, you got this big waterfall, and then obviously, like, all that air that's been pushed in with the water is then bubbling up through this kind of blue green water and it looked really glassy and gorgeous. And, like, frankly, I couldn't really see Niagara Falls that closely once you're actually in it. <laughs> and also, there was this pretty detail here. So, when he said, What did you think about it? I was like, Yeah, I was looking at the bubbles, they're really pretty. And then he had this kind of like, Uh, you like the bubbles? I'm so glad I took you here. Mm, bubbles. <laughs> Like, but this is this is part of it. Yeah. That's the bit that I liked. And I've got this like, yeah, thing that I've been failing to write for ages about like yeah, I often like the little details, or that's often what draws my yeah. eye. But that's yeah. good too. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's the bit you wouldn't know about if you hadn't been. Do you know what I mean? That's you don't mm. see that on the post or whatever. And that's the bit you're closer to. Mm. Probably. Like physically, that's the bit you can access and you're closer to you thought it would make sense to write about the bubbles right yeah i'd have to go research to write about the the <laughs> how many gallons of water per second or whatever crap but like yeah, that's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> i feel you is what i'm saying 
<laughs> yeah, I think, I think, and you know, for me personally, it's not even that I find, you know, the smaller moments more interesting per se. I think it's just I find them creatively. Mm-hmm. I don't want it easier to access, but like I have more, I have more of an understanding of how to access them. Creatively. They feel like yours rather than. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they feel like mine rather than everybody's. And even in the book, there were like there were some, you know, relationships and friendships and stuff I've written about that there were way more dramatic moments, like hmm. you know, arguments on tube platforms or like things like that. And you think, oh, like there's poetry there for sure. But I, yeah, I just I can't really find the poetry in super huge moments. I don't think hmm. personally or or you know, kind of wider socially or politically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but there are so many poets who do a great job of that. I feel like they've got yeah. it. Yeah, you know? <laughs> it's a broad church. <laughs> it's a broad church. Like, oh, um, Vanessa Casule had this amazing, amazing poem on um when the statue got taken down. Yes. Oh god, That's so good. It was so good, and I was like, see, this is like that's just exceptional, and mm-hmm. you know, I these 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 the big moments and the the politics is being so exceptionally documented by not only other historians but other creatives and poets i'm like Mm. there's a really nice coda to that as well in that um so colston hall is a a big concert venue in bristol and obviously the name's been quite contentious for a while Mm -hmm. and they've just renamed themselves the bristol beacon and they got vanessa casule to write a poem about bristol and about beacon about why they've chosen the name beacon and sort of did a a recorded video with different bristolians reading bits of the poem and it's so good and it's just yeah it's so perfect it's such a good response to a a building that's been you know an arts venue that's been at the center of this really kind of knotty debate for a long time and Mm. finally i think felt free enough to just go no sod colston (laughs) yeah we're done now yeah and you know so i i read poetry like that and it's being well documented let me (laughs) It was just, I just remember feeling like a massive sense of uplift that day. Um, and, and, you know, those few days where the statue came down and then the poem dropped. And it was just such a such a beautiful way of, of describing what happened and mm. encapsulating it. And from this one really specific thing that happened, which was the statue coming down, she took it wider um, mm-hmm. as well. And yeah, it, it was just, it was a, a masterpiece. And yeah. yeah, I mean, there's a lot to be said about like legacies and things in there, but. I'm just rename it all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can rename it all. Well, I think that seems like a, a good place to leave it. Uh, rename it all, tear things down, write your own stories. <laughs> tear it all down. Yes. Is there anything we haven't touched on that you want to say about poetry, your work? I just I love poetry, like live live poetry. I wanna I wanna see people and overshare to a room of strangers. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I want to hear, you know, slightly awkward poetry about, you know, premature ejaculation. I mean, like, I just want spoken word nights back, you know? Yeah. yeah. I miss it. I'm sending lots of love to people who, like, the spoken word scene was, you know, their main community or one of the only places they could talk about certain aspects of their identity or whatever in their now. Mm-hmm. In where they don't get to just kind of be their authentic selves on a weekly or twice monthly basis. And, you know, as soon as it's safe we'll be back at it oversharing yeah yay drinking overpriced wine in various locations across london
In our writing tips section, we ask one of our favourite poets for a piece of writing advice or a prompt which you can use in your own work. This month, Iris Colomb shares a tip. Hi, my name is Iris Colomb. I'm a poet and artist. In these strange times, I suggest that we all spit food colouring in our least favourite book and use only the words in the stains to write a new poem. I am currently curating a multidisciplinary poetry event series called Slant. You can find it on social media. It's Slant Events on Facebook and Instagram and Event Slant on Twitter. Now it's time for our book club section, which this month is The Mersey Sound by Roger McGough, Brian Patton and Adrian Henry, chosen by Laurie. Laurie, tell us why you chose this book. I chose this book, um, which I hadn't read before, because I think I've been aware of it maybe since even possibly school. It's a book from first published in 1967. The copy that I picked up is the Penguin Modern Classics version, which I believe is the version that's now in print, which is like a restoration of the original text. What does that mean? So I, I think they that. added extra poems in other versions of it that in different editions that have been printed over time uh, and they've gone back to this is just the original poems that were in the book um, so they've because res- it sounds like they've restored the tapes i found it such a it is yeah. a weird yeah, thing to write like on a remastered. book and kind of like yeah. like a record i guess i was kind of always intrigued by the fact that it's written by three different people like it felt mm. it it's always been presented as the mersey sound by these three writers rather than kind of um a, a selection of different poems it makes me it makes me think of like uh it's always made me think of like a split record between two bands you know how you get that sometimes where mm-hmm. it's cheaper to just have two bands on a record so they'll just do that anyway it intrigued me the idea of having a kind of split collection mm. between three writers um so i kind of wanted to read it and see what that was all about it's often kind of credited as being one of the first sort of very kind of everyday poetry books um very kind of slangy and sort of down to earth kind of talking about what's going on in normal people's lives rather than kind of lofty and metaphysical Mm -hmm. or whatever um it's the highest selling poetry anthology of all time um selling 500,000 copies so I thought it would be an interesting one to have a look at and read it's more that it's got a lot of cultural weight than anything else that I Mm. that has intrigued me about it made me want to read it so what did you think having read it like were you disappointed were you satisfied felt kind of mixed on it I think I think I prefer some writers in it over others I think I prefer some poems in it over others. Yeah. I feel like well, we were just talking off mic that some of it that must have felt very kind of progressive in how everyday it was at the time. It probably mm. feels quite regressive now or it feels like kind of from another era and not mm. always in a good way. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I think it's interesting that we were talking to AJ about pop culture references and kind of the importance of pop culture but I think this kind of is quite a neat example of sort of some of the downsides of that, that that there are things that just either date or you're just, I'm sure I'm missing stuff. You know, when you're reading something and you're like, mm. I'm sure I'm missing yeah. a reference. Here. Yeah. Or, you know, and 
I don't know that spoils it necessarily, but you kind of are aware that you're not getting the the full the full flavor of it. It yeah. feels like it's written in 1967, which yeah. in some ways must have been amazing in 1967 to have this kind of feeling of Beatlemania, this kind of feeling of Liverpool is where it's at and mm. kind of seeing represented like the chip shop and people living there. And I, I feel like where, where the book is really successful for me is that I do read it and get a sense of, okay, I feel like I'm really getting three different writers' perspectives on this city and having mm. that reflected quite well. Um, mm. I think um, that's probably its biggest strength for me. Mm. Um, but also, much like listening to early Beatles records, some of them sound, you know, not not necessarily bad in those Beatles records, but like they feel of a certain era. Um, yes, there are a couple of lyrics in early Beatles ones where you go, Oof, I wouldn't put that. I wouldn't have okay. said that now, particularly like <laughs> she was just 17. You know what I mean? There's a there's a few of those in this book, to say the least. <laughs> Adrian Henry, especially mm-hmm. like there's only so many times you can talk about beautiful schoolgirls by mm-hmm. accident, by which I mean. How once, far are you going to go and I on this? Once and I probably wouldn't notice. Mm-hmm. Um, like, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, I did spot a few threads where I, or the ways that disabled people re- referred to in different mm. parts of this book was sort of as a sort of sad, poetic, interesting thing to observe. I think it was Roger McGough had one about a guy whose wheelchair somehow uh. gets like shot off the truck or oh, van yeah, the or whatever vehicle yeah okay and he even re- he even uses the word cripple mm-hmm. um and then sort of like observes the wheelchair looking mangled but like a bird and i'm like was the dude alive was the dude okay did this happen in real life what <laughs> wow thanks anna <laughs> <laughs> or referring to uh i can't remember which one of them might have been brian Patton or roger mcgoff referred to uh uh, a a girl with a hair lip who no one wants to kiss as as a sad and poignant image. Like, is it yeah, sad and poignant, can... or just like kind of taking the piss kind of thing? I'm. Well, I guess I'm not saying one like, is better than wise, the other. They're both. You tone know. wise, I can't. Yeah, I don't know. But it's, um, way, it's not so. The girl, the girl with the hair lip is kind of just a metaphor, isn't it? So it's, there's something sad about the glass with the lipstick on its mouth that's pointed at and given back to the waitress in disgust, like the girl with the hair lip whom no one wants to kiss like that's she's a metaphorical example of yeah of just like uh... it's kind of more the punchline of the joke yeah which also isn't good i'm not i'm not saying and that's fine that's not what i'm saying (laughs) yeah you know there's there's a few things like that that i spotted where i was like hmm so adrian henry is the one name i didn't know coming to this whereas roger Mm. mcgough and brian Patton from um more from the children kids work um to be honest but i i I am aware of them have read a few bits and pieces here and there should go dig out more recent i'd be well up for digging out more recent stuff of both of theirs Hmm. there's certain themes in it that just really do paint a picture of the time like how much the shadow of war hangs over Mm -hmm. both as like i think world war one poets presumably being some of the most raw contemporary poetry they had. Yeah. World War Two still presumably bomb sites everywhere left over from yeah. it. And then some of the pieces also are are about the bomb. Yeah, I suppose it's the, the last two generations of men have known war. Yeah. And you are the generation that hasn't. 
is yeah there's a weight to that and a kind of uh, a shadow of that yeah Um, but yeah I found that interesting like you know um Laurie was talking about the kind of everydayness of it and the kind of celebrating being the everydayness I found that quite interesting with with Adrian Henry's one um, I think it's called those great war poems yeah and it's kind of a list of images that you find in great war poems about the mud and the blood and the you know um the same old soldiers walking along the same old skyline yeah. yeah, and it's kind of taking the piss out of that, those sorts of poems or kind of pastiching them a little bit, but then also kind of ends up being that poem as well. Mm. And I wasn't sure what I thought about that. I wasn't sure if like, oh, this is successfully a powerful poem, even though it's looking at it side eye, or you're trying to look at it side eye and you can't. Like, I I, I wasn't sure what I made of that. And I wonder what mm. you guys thought of it. I think a lot of, particularly the Adrian Henry ones, feel like, more influenced by what was happening in america at the time with poetry like mm. uh and, and really explicitly like he talks a lot about like william burroughs writing yeah. like the yeah. the idea of the cut up the idea of like beat poetry i want to be a beatnik and, I'm a yeah beatnik. and and being very like i mean the the opening line is like is a reference to a charlie mingus album like um mm. famous jazz musician it's very jazz influenced particularly adrian henry's stuff um and it feels kind of freewheeling and quite chaotic his mm. stuff in a way mm. in a way that the other two don't for me where you're right rebecca i can't work out he'll like play a yeah. note as it were and i can't work out if it's like sincere or like he's hitting a bum note you know like... and i think the thing with with that was that a lot of his poems are just a series of really interesting images and really profound images mm, lots of lists yeah he doesn't do anything with them he just moves on and maybe that image will come back but it doesn't build to anything and mm. yeah i kind of found myself getting almost a little bit seasick yeah like i'm looking at one now like love is it doesn't do what i love in a list poem which is to build on the previous yeah. ones or like make sure each one is saying something different necessarily yeah yeah or kind of come to any kind of conclusion or any any overarching image it just it just is a list and i was kind of like all right um yeah and the other one so talking of list there's a poem where he talks about who he'd rather be if he wasn't him and he <laughs> talks about he lists all of these different kind of male writers. And I was saying to Hannah, and I think this is this is probably an era thing as much as anything, but it is absolutely the university fuckboy list of writers. Do you know what I mean? Like, it is. like if you go to university and you meet a man and his favourite writers are, you know, uh, William Burroughs, uh, Charles Bukowski, Jack Kerouac, all of those. Oh, Don't well, fuck him. Don't fuck him until Bukowski. he's a bit older and he's read a few women, is all I'm saying. If he wants to, if he wants to hold forth at you about the genius of Tarantino <laughs> and Burroughs uh, and Bukowski, especially, run for the fucking hills. I like Burroughs. I'm not saying those writers don't have anything to offer at all, but there is a certain type of 18 year old boy who has read only those writers and probably very few women, and it shows and kind of idolizes that particular sort of strand of masculinity. Which, like, I'm not saying they're not great writers. I do think you need to interrogate that strand of masculinity in a way. I mean, I feel like that's a great sentence by which to to look at this whole book. <laughs> is, I don't know, I came away from it thinking, like, bloody hell, that's really written by three <laughs> yeah. men, isn't it? And also three very young men. It, the, the intro says in as many words that uh, Brian Patton was a teenager when some of these were written. I think these are these are young writers finding their voices. And finding what poetry is in a time where I think, you know, build, building a scene and building 
like I grew up reading Roger, Roger McGough's children's books. Mm. Like they they were building a more friendly contemporary poetry scene that wasn't as plummy and elbow patches and stuck up and whatever else. Yeah. Uh, but figuring out what the fuck that looks like in 1967 mm. is going to be something else. I probably liked more bits of the Roger, Roger McGough's poems than I did the Adrian Henry ones. I think the Adrian Henry ones are like kind of interesting from a kind of, I think you could great get great workshop exercises out of them. Like they're very experimental. They're very <laughs> mm. like, what if we did this? And yeah. it doesn't work all the time, but it would be an interesting like springboard to do some of them. <laughs> like there's one like love poem, which is just like, all little bits of poems that it's just kind of put together and you know as a whole thing it, i'm not sure how well it holds together but it'd be interesting to do something similar in a workshop just being like okay we're going to just collate the bits and pieces you've got to see what where they end up and then yeah brian Patton kind of closes the, the collection with his section which i probably found was like a little bit more serious than the other two maybe there were quite a few where there were gorgeous images and i didn't quite know what what the intention mm. was or there were quite a few where i found myself wondering what the backstory was that we were mm. missing you know there's one i think it was brian Patton that had him and a girl hanging out and she takes off her long satin evening glove and looks into the pond and pulls a fish out oh yeah there was a really weird and one. leaves the fish and the fish dies because it's outside of the water and she goes no no please don't die and leaves it there and yeah then there's they quite shag. a lot of and then they shag in this book <laughs> yeah. and i mean you know you've you just learned how to do it you want the world to know that's fair enough but like yeah that's true i think i think there's a lot of hey guys listen 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 i i know i totally touched i totally boobs. totally saw side boob guys <laughs> yeah but yeah there are a few like that where i was like i i what 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 is because it sounds like the, the girl's just killed a fish for no fucking reason. Like, is she a dick? Fir- or is this supposed to be a beautiful... Is the fish supposed to be him? <sighs> the first one in Brian Patton's section is called Party Piece. And that's one where I actually think it does work really well. The whole, like, and then they made out. Um, there's, like, a the end of it's really lovely. Like, it's just like, so they did. Right there among the woodbines and Guinness stains. And later he caught a bus and she a train. And all that was between them then was rain. And I really liked that. I thought that was like mm. kind of whereas the other ones where shagging happens, it's a bit like, whoa, hey, that was more like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I lied. The the fish is called the fish, uh, is Roger McGough. But yeah, it's it's I don't know. I didn't I didn't love this collection, but there were sections of it. There there were there were little little glimpses of really damn good stuff. And also as a history piece I now know that the East Lanks Road smells bad. <laughs> I know there were a hell of a lot of plastic flowers. <laughs> and I feel like I have, yeah, more of an appreciation of some of the preoccupations at the time, quite how much war still hung mm. over everything. Yes, I think looking back, we have a tendency to think of those as very distinct sections of history. But yeah. actually, obviously, it was fun and free. It was the 60s. Actually, not. <laughs> that was a reaction and a development in contrast I to. I think yeah. my. Going back to the original question, what do I think of it now? It's pretty similar to Hannah. I'm glad to have read it, I think, as an interesting history piece. Hmm. Did I love all of it? No. There are certainly some things tonally about the book that I'm now like, okay, that hasn't aged well. But I'm glad to have read it. 
Yeah, I think you can accept a certain amount of stuff and just go, well, that's of its era and not not completely hate it. Just go, yeah, no, this is what it is and accept it on those yeah. terms. I don't um, think Roger McGough is an ableist shithead now. I think the 60s, yeah. <laughs> the 60s were like the, the disability civil rights movement, like was coming up from a place of basically zero. Like the, the a lot has changed. And and I feel also having it split between three voices makes me not go this person is a sexist shit so much as huh that time yeah <laughs> well i feel it demonstrates what was pervasive versus one person because you have multiple it voices makes you wonder about you know what will make my grandkids cringe yeah or like it makes me think about you know like now say you perform a poem and it has a tone to it or an area to it that is not that, that comes off badly like you write yeah. a piece and somebody comes up to you afterwards and goes, hey man, are you aware that by saying that you're actually saying this? And you go, oh shit, I, I shouldn't mm. have, I, I'd phrase that differently. I'd write that differently because, you know, that's yeah. not how I feel. Now you yeah. do that and you change the piece or you do what you need to. And like here, you've already pub- you've published the damn thing because it's the only way of getting your poems out there yeah. when you're like 18 or whatever. Like, yeah. and it's frozen in time, it's published, that's it. You know yeah. what Roger McGough thinks of this now. I have no idea. But if you gave it to yeah. some to somebody and goes, "Hey, here's Roger McGough and what he's all about," and they read it and go, "Wow, it comes across pretty sexist," then it's yeah. there and it's frozen in time, and that's terrifying. I don't <laughs> like the phrase cancel, "cancel culture" because I generally am broadly in favor of like more accountability for people over what they say and their words. Yeah. If I don't like something you've said, I'm not obliged to buy your shit afterwards. Yeah, like, yeah. that's not cancelling you. That's just wandering in a different direction. Yeah. Like, but it's interesting, you know, if you've published something 50 years ago, yeah. to what extent <laughs> do you go, it was time? Hands up, the first poem I ever got published, which was in 2005, first year of university, had a transphobic joke in it, and I didn't even think about it. I had not yet met a trans person. I had not. So you thought want about it to it. be a representation of you and your work. Yeah, if someone comes across that zine now, uh, I have learnt better, and I am sorry. And that was a shitty thing, and I didn't realise. Well, can that you I imagine was doing that in fifty years' time, somebody looking back at something you've written? <laughs> I I like I didn't hate this. I thought it was really interesting. Like, and I think sometimes having stuff where you kind of go, okay why don't I like it or why why do I feel a bit huh after mm. having read it is quite useful for yourself as a writer as well you know that, that like like I was saying about Adrian Henry that kind of the thing that got me was like I don't think this is going anywhere even though I love these images and I think there's something interesting going on here and I guess the idea that there should be somewhere it's going yeah is that is true indicative of our norms but yeah mm. yeah if it, if, it, if it falls into your hands give it a check out I think it's it's worth it but yeah with a pinch of salt now it's time for the notice board section, where we spotlight 10 or so opportunities to look out for where you can perform your work or submit it for publication. So first up, the Young Poets Network is seeking poems about being with nature in the man-made environment, so mixing the natural and the human world. The competition is open to poets 25 and under and will be judged by Boyega Odebanjo. Selected poets will be published on Young Poets Network and the People Need Nature website and sent exclusive Young Poets Network notebook, poetry books and other goodies. The first, second and third prize winners will also win £50, £40 and £30 in book tokens respectively and commended poets will win £10 book tokens. The deadline is November the 1st and you can find out more about that at ypn.com 
www.poetrysociety.org.uk. And then second up, this one is uh, not until November, but it is for pamphlets. So I thought we'd do that now to give you a bit of a, a, a head yeah. up if you're interested. So Stewed Rhubarb Press in Scotland will be taking submissions for pamphlets from the 2nd to the 29th of November 2020. They're looking for spoken word poetry that engages with the world in pamphlets of 16 to 24 poems. Visit stewedrhubarb.org forward slash contact forward slash submissions for more details. And then finally, on Tuesday, 6th of October, uh, from seven o'clock, we've got York Spoken Word October Zoom Open Mic. And if you go on Facebook and search for York Spoken Word Open Mic, that should come up. So yeah, based on York, uh, I think they're having 35 poets on the mic. I think you've got to get in touch by the 5th to try and secure a start. Hannah, what have you got for us? So one of the things I came across this month because I was hosting Insight, the feature act Cat Brogan uh, is part of, is, is somehow connected to Rainbow Rights, which is an LGBTQ plus writing collective, I suppose. I'm not 100% sure. It's in Malaysia, but because Zoom, these are also available to, to people in the UK too. Um, but they have a series of masterclass workshops for uh, the prices were in a currency I don't know the equivalents for, but apparently it's a, about a tenner each for UK people. And it's available for basically everybody but cis men, sorry, Laurie, um, with various uh, female, non-binary, trans, queer uh, writers, including Mary Jean Chan, whose book Flesh we reviewed a couple of podcasts ago and basically everybody really like. Yeah, jump on that. Yeah, so tenor to have Mary Jean Chan teaching you. That sounds awesome to me. And that, if you want to find out about that, it's at Rainbow Rights. Two six three two three six four two zero dot wordpress dot com. Christ, I feel like I'm reading out my bank details. <laughs> um, but we will also be uh, sharing that on Twitter and stuff. Out of curiosity, did you have a pet as a child, Hannah? And what was it called? <laughs> the other one coming up: uh, Roundhouse Poetry Slam uh, is online and open so that's one of the ways that uh, young writers can get some coaching and some some awesome names are running workshops and things but they also do a slam and you've got till the 26th of october to apply and i didn't see age limits on it which is awesome Yay, so that's www no sorry it's 18 to 25 no. oh fuck's sake yeah. we're over the hill guys well we're over the hill. If you're a if you're a young whippersnapper upstart, then uh, it's www.roundhouse.org.uk forward slash home forward slash round hyphen your hyphen house slash poetry hyphen slam hyphen call hyphen four hyphen poets. And the final one, um, I don't know much about it, but I have applied to this previous years. The Ginkgo Poetry Prize, which is about eco poetry, so poetry dealing with the climate crisis. And it's judged by Simon Armitage. The deadline is 31st of October. So that's uh, ginkoprize.com for any information. But also on top of that, they're running eco poetry workshops via their Instagram account, which is at ginko.prize. On, uh, that's on Instagram Live. I'm not sure when, but if you're thinking of entering and or want to find out more from the likes of Simon Armitage, check that out. Laurie, what have you got for so us? So our friends down at Spork in Exeter um, have got a really cool opportunity coming up for four emerging Southwest spoken word artists. Um, it's a pretty quick deadline. Um, it's on the 3rd of October, so I'm hoping the episode will be up by then. Um, but you can apply for a spot on Spork Up, which is a four-week development program aimed at supporting 
the most exciting new talent in the region. Uh, there's no age limit. You just have to be based in the Southwest and at the beginning of your professional career. You get, get this, you get 750 quid if you get into it, just just what? because 750 quid. You that get, sounds good. I mean, that sounds good in itself. But on top of that, you get three Zoom workshops with Kareem Parkins-Brown, Jasmine Gardosi, and Kat Francois, all of whom are bosses. What? You get a professionally made film of your work and a feature spot at a live gig, mentoring and career advice. Uh, it's just bizarre, like in the best possible way. Like this is a great opportunity. Um, you can find details at bit.ly stroke spoke up, but you've got to be quick because it is closing on the 3rd of October. I've also got the Creative Writing Breakfast Club, which is a online writing workshop which is happening i think fortnightly don't quote me on that uh with laurie bolger um and the mm -hmm. next one is october the 4th uh, at 10 a.m um the poster for it does feature the poster for the breakfast club but with creative writing scrawled on it which is very nice um so the session on the 4th is about letting your creativity lead the way generating new and exciting writing in your own unique style uh, and during the workshop, Laurie, who is not me, uh, Laurie Bolger, will take you through fast-paced writing exercises to boost mindfulness. Ooh, whatever that involves. I, I bring absolutely no mindfulness when I do writing. Um, all you need <laughs> is pen and paper and somewhere chilled to sit and let your imagination do its thing, apparently. And there are tickets on Eventbrite. <laughs> and she's a really good writer and just a good egg. Um, so... I've also got, and I think I'm going to uh, potentially, I think I am going to uh, not apply for this, I guess get tickets for this, but there's a workshop called Write Together with Rachel Long uh, on the 20th of October, which you can find the details at spreadtheword.org. Um, it's an opportunity for writers of all levels to be part of an online writing community engaging in fortnightly sessions themed around a different aspect of the craft every time um, or an interview or a mini masterclass. Um, and this one is on the 20th of October is with Rachel Long, who's just brought out her new collection, My Darling from the Lions. It looks great. It has a beautiful cover. I've seen fantastic things about it online. And she also is one of the people who uh, AJ credited mm. with making AJ's collection what it is. Anyway, so, the theme yeah. for the workshop is writing from art and photography. Uh, and it's pay what you can. So you can find out more about that on spreadtheword.org. Also, not really an opportunity, but just something that I want to plug um, is on BBC iPlayer at the moment, there's a series called The Romantics and Us, um, which is a documentary. I think it's hosted by Simon Sharma um, about romantics in like, you know, big inverted commas but there's some really cool stuff in there um to do with poetry and art more generally but um if you kind of want to know more about like the history of like the canon of poetry in like england specifically which not everybody does it's a lot of boring white dudes but it's <laughs> it's quite well done and there's some really good stuff in there like um they have this beatboxer called testament reinterpreting blake's london in the first episode and it's really freaking good like it's a really good section in that first episode that basically explains why 
that poem is interesting in a way that I think is really accessible to everybody, really understandable to 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 kids in particular. Um, and it's just a really cool thing to to see because it really the whole point of the program is it really draws parallels between like poets of the past and artists of the past with where we are right now in 2020 um and i think it's just worth shouting out excellent sounds really cool we should check that out in a moment we're going to have our recorded poem of the month to play us out but before we do that anything you guys want to biceps is still out (laughs) On Burning Eye Books, you can get a copy from my website, which is laurieeves.com or laurieeves.bigcartel.com. Um, I also have copies of the book on cassette, shiny red cassette tape, if you like that. You can mm-hmm. also find me on Facebook and Instagram at laurieevespoet or on Twitter at Mr. Leaves. And that's it from me. Hannah? Excellent. Ah. I don't think I've got anything to plug particularly. I'm Hannah.Hutzber or Hannah underscore Hutzber on most uh, platforms. But given that it is October and that is, as, as a former goth, uh, October is a holy month, uh, <laughs> I I set the challenge of reading or writing something spooky mm. if, if the mood takes you. Uh, and if you do write anything based on that, do feel free to tweet it at us, fling it at us on Instagram, mm. tag us. We want to see it. Come round our house, spray paint it on the walls. <laughs> uh, stay home, stay safe, stay away. You can find me on Twitter uh, at Rebecca K Cooney, on Instagram at any name but Becky, and my website is RebeccaKCooney.wordpress.com. You can find the podcast on Twitter at Dead Darlings Pod, on Facebook as Dead Darlings Podcast, and it's also at Dead Darlings Pod on Instagram. You can also email us at deaddarlingspodcast@gmail.com. If you liked what you heard, please remember to rate, review and subscribe wherever you get the podcast and help us spread the word. Um, Our poem of the month was performed by Elizabeth McGeown. Before we share Elizabeth's poem with you, I just want to say thank you to her for letting us showcase her work, to Iris Colum for the tip. Uh, Thank you to my co-hosts, Hannah and Laurie, to AJ for joining us, to Texas Radio for our theme music and to you for listening. Bye. Bye. My name is Elizabeth McGeown. Witch! I was witch, because my hair would not do what it should, invading personal space, school books and sticking to walls, because I spellcasted with my hands and finger-long motions, because I did not pay the daily toll and call Angela pretty when the prettiest thing about her was the relief we felt when she left. I felt recognised and more than to be careful as witches can punish, my friend, pursed nervous lips, you shouldn't have said that. I think it was exactly what I should have said. But I was too young and not yet in my powers. Bleeding was irregular and new. I whispered chants wrongly, mispronounced the ancient tomes, and they knew I could not defend myself, increased in brittle wickedness. I sat in a bathtub and watched signs of puberty sneak upon me so silently I barely noticed. It seemed I had always been smoothing leg hairs down flat with bath water. Unaware of shaving, they whispered it at me, followed me with hisses, and I shaved once for their grasping inspection. Thick, dark tights ever after, as I realised I should not reveal my true nature. If they wondered, let them wonder. I would never again show sacredness to those who would make me change it. You died many times. 
You all died many times. Remember the twinges, the headaches in geography? It hurt me as much as it hurt you. I bored into the back of your neck, pinhole voodoo surgery, nosebleeds and English lit leading to searing cauterizations, but seven times seven times seven comes back against you. Pinned to the wall with jeers and scissors or not so open. Everything was behind back. They crept. They cut a hank of hair to throw back in my face. I, Samson, was broken. The only time I ever truly wept. I made a deal with the devil, which is to say, being unsure of his existence, that I made a deal with myself. I would survive this. You circle yourself in salt. You circle of salt yourself. We are an island surrounded by a wide blue circle of salt every day. We swim in it. It should protect us. Salt sea circle survivors. It does not. We are unsafe. I will survive this. I died many times too. As the ducking mechanism rises and falls, your eyes fill with water. Water falls away. Water rises in my lungs and I become numb. Days passed, and water resolutely would not destroy me. Water whispered comfort to me, pulled from the stool, muscles cramped and aching from the long sit to the pyre. I awoke underneath cold embers, long having ceased to smolder. I, brittle and thin, gathered up my charred sticks of bones. Finger-long, skinless hands lifted a desiccated heart from the ash. It was wasteland here, so ran to the woods here. I fitted heart inside my chest. Here I was in agonies as skin grew back in easily torn layers, softly wrapped in sphagnum. Here I learned, friend tree sheltered me as I learned how to speak to the birds. First, <coughs> rasping. Clicks later, something akin to music. I practiced walking on rust-colored, smoke-stained femurs, pelvis shuddering. It took years, is still taking years. Flash forward to now. See me use modern phrases, see my almost eye contact, see me converse casually and shop for foodstuffs using either cashier or self-service machine with equal ease. I can juggle your punchlines and hit a home run. I can have a human kind of fun, but I will always flinch. I will always leave too quick before you tire of me. And when I go, hurt and healing, surviving in the shadows, you will always think you detect an almost imperceptible smell of burning. Thank you to Dead Darlings for inviting me to um, record a poem for their podcast. If you'd like to follow me on social media, I'm on Facebook at Elizabeth McGeown Writes, Speaks, Sings, and the spelling of my surname is M-C-G-E-O-W-N. And I'm also on Twitter at Candy's Eyes, which is C-A-N-D-Y-S-E-Y-E-S. And on Instagram at Candy's underscore eyes. Same spelling as before. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm.